Messy will with us in studio uh, is Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives, Jason White. Good morning, Mr. Speaker. Good morning, Lucian. Good to be with you. Hey, thank you for taking the time to be with us. I know you've got a, a little bit going on uh, these next few months, so appreciate your making the time to be with us. It's good to be here. We are we're we're off and running, and uh, it's a busy session, but we're. We're figuring it out. Well, if you've got questions for the speaker or thoughts you want to share, you can be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. It's called a text line because if you call it, nobody's going to answer. But you can send us a text <laughs> uh, and possibly uh, be part of the conversation. Um, y- y'all, it seems like y'all have gotten off to uh, to a running start. I mean, if, normally these long sessions, I feel like the first month, there's an awful lot of you know talking, thinking but not a lot of doing. Y'all have done a lot of doing in the first 30 days. We've done a lot of doing. Now, part of that was thanks to the two special sessions that came in that second and third week, um, which um, folks on some level may be tired of hearing about. But, but hey, for us <clears throat> as policymakers and, and um, budget decision makers for the state, it's extremely good news to have those two projects, have those companies coming to Mississippi and the uh, – the excitement and the momentum around those is it's, it's real, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the Madison County um, project is, as y'all have so well covered on, on this program. Um, it's truly, I mean, you hear this phrase thrown around a lot and it's the word game changer or the, that phrase. And, but this one truly could be that not only for central Mississippi, but for our state as a whole. So we're extremely excited about that. So, so that was first, first two, three weeks of the session was consumed particularly by those, um, special sessions and then in the house we then followed that up with the ballot initiative uh legislation which we were able to pass Um, and how is that structured is that basically uh is that essentially the old system except uh for four congressional districts uh, yes with a with a few um added features if you will of course now it will go into statute and not into the constitution so in other words if, if lucian smith gets up a very well-meaning initiative referendum proposal and gets it on the ballot and Pat and, and Mississippi voters vote for it, it will go into statute and not into the constitution, okay. what, whatever the, whatever that issue is. So that's a change. We did change it from the five to the four. Um, we also, there were already provisions in there about Mississippi being a right to work state about, um, hands off anything to do with our public employees retirement system. We added that none of our abortion laws would be subject to an initiative and referendum process. And there seemed to be lots of weeping and gnashing of teeth around that issue. Um, and un- I've seen a lot of complaining, mostly from the left, about that. Help, right. help folks understand what the thinking there is. Well, the thinking is simply this. I mean, we've we've lived in a Roe v. Wade world for, you know, 50-plus years, and because of some things that happened in Mississippi and because of our U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, um, we finally got some relief in that area, and we're not dying to to give it up to some, you know, out-of-state interest. And, and it's already shown in other states they're putting it on the ballot uh, almost immediately where they right. can't, <clears throat> where they can't um, push their pro-choice agenda they're getting it on the ballot spending tons of money that's coming from outside of those states um, more money being spent on those issues than on than on statewide gubernatorial elections in some of those places well and that's the that makes a lot of sense just because you know if you, legislation is complicated i mean normally you're talking it's, hundreds of pages sometimes. it's extremely complicated and and look um our medical marijuana program 
that, that almost ended up in our Constitution. And, and luckily it didn't. Now the reasons were, were somewhat, you know, if we had not had our Supreme Court's decision to throw it out, we would have had it in our Constitution. But where medical marijuana should be is in statute. And, and I would argue that um, <clears throat> the, the issues surrounding our, what I call our, our pro-life movement in Mississippi are best handled through the legislative process. And so, you know, we thought that was the way to go. And, and keep in mind, to pass, to pass this legislation requires a two-thirds vote because you are altering the Constitution. It's hard to get a two-thirds vote on much of anything these days. Yeah. And so the fact that we were able to hold all of our Republicans together, all 79, and add a few Democrats and independents to get that vote, um, you know, I, hey, from the, from the guy who's sitting in the chair counting the votes, I, I considered it a success that day. We also raised the signature threshold to a, from about 108,000. It'll be around 150 to 160,000 signatures required to get something on the ballot. I mean, that's a that's a lot of signatures. It's a lot of signatures. But again, we're trying to find something that our Senate counterparts will will entertain. We've passed we've passed three different ones now in the House over the last three years, and they've all you know met a ill fate on the other end of the building. So we're trying to find something, find a sweet spot that they might can get on board with. Our, our people are demanding it, and um, it, it's going to be one of the big issues of this session. Well, it, it is one that we almost always, anytime you or another legislator is on, almost without fail, somebody on the ceasefire text line asks, is this the year uh, that we're going to do it? And, and I think that higher threshold makes sense because this stuff is, you know, you really, if you're circumventing the legislature, it ought to be for something that, there is a broad desire from a lot of people to do, and getting those kind of signatures is, is not easy. But I think you're smart to, to do it the way y'all are doing. What are what are your legislative priorities uh, for this session? I mean, what, what do you want to see happen uh, when we get to sign and die? A couple of big things. Um, and we've spent almost all of our energy and and smartest folks on our end of the building we've got handling a couple of different issues that are um, what we are calling our two main issues for the session the one is a funding formula rewrite of our k-12 education um, we are going to pass that probably in the next two weeks in the house um, as you know today is the deadline um, to introduce legislation so folks have until I guess six o'clock tonight to get their bills dropped. Uh, I'm sure we'll have one last big flurry. We had a big flurry on Thursday and Friday in the House. I think we're up north of 1,300 bills so wow. far, <laughs> <laughs> and 1,295 of them are really, really, really good ideas. So, right. Anyway, we'll we'll wait through that. But but and this will be a new. It'll be a formula be a, also. Yes, sir. Okay. It, it will scrap the MAP formula. Um, it will go to a more student-based, student-weighted. Um, funding formula that even you and I can understand, Lucian. I, I've seen it. I can bring an iPad up here and I can say, how do you want to tweak this? You want to put more emphasis on um, low income. You want to put more emphasis on special education. You want to put more emphasis on workforce development. Here are the weights. You can tweak them any way you want, plug in the base student cost, and it gives you a number. It's very easy um, to understand. It's not too different than what Tennessee did um, just a year or so ago. So, um, we're excited about that. Now, I will tell you, um, our 27% rule kind of sets an artificial floor across the state. The, in other words, no local school district ever pays more than 27% of the per-student cost. In terms of their local uh, in, contribution? In terms of their local contribution. Okay. Um, this takes a long, hard look at that. And the formula, you can simply, you can raise that to 28, 29, 30. 
um, you could do away with it. And and it's it's interesting to see you know what some folks would call the winners and losers. I would say it's more about equity funding. Um, and what the formula itself was designed to do from the beginning. And, and we're going, again, we're going, we're not going to do it based on student or, or teacher units. We're not going to base funding on teacher units or what you got last year, because that seems to be the big thing is, well, this is what we got last year. So we're just always chasing this new number with MAEP. This is a real number that is achievable and doable. Now, it wouldn't mean, it wouldn't mean less money. Um, what we're looking at is is actually would be a historic investment in education this coming year. And correct me if I'm wrong, Speaker. The, am I right that we're spending more money now under Republican leadership than ever before on K twelve education? Absolutely, because I think that gets lost when people talk about fully funding MAP. It does because again with MAP, you're, the the formula. I don't know if it was set up this way on purpose or if it was just a, a flaw of the system. But you never get there. In other words, if you did hit some magic number this year to say, hey, that was full funding, well, then next year you're chasing a number that's 50 to 100 million more. It's like it's always running away from you, and you can't can't pin it down. This – other states have gone, again, to this more student-based funding that says we have this many students, they have these needs – this is what it should cost. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know if MAAP has been good for children, but it's been great for Democrats because they use it every <laughs> electoral cycle to say the big bad Republicans won't fully fund education. Why do you hate children, Jason White? And that's just totally inaccurate it's Totally, inaccurate. if you believe in math, which some of us do because y'all are spending more than ever. <laughs> We're spending more than ever. Well, and last year was, again, historic and more than ever. Well, and focusing more on children, I think, is exactly the right way to do it. Well, we are uh, coming up against a break. We'll have more after this break with Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives, Jason White. Stick with us for more after this. Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Paul Gallo here on the Gallo Radio Show on Super Talk Mississippi, coming to you live this morning from the Trustmark Bank Studios. Don't stop living to do your banking. Easily manage your money whenever and wherever you want with my Trustmark mobile banking enroll today at Trustmark.com. People you trust, advice that works, member FDIC. Well, with us here in the Trustmark studio uh, is Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives, Jason White. Thank you again, Speaker, for taking the time to be with us. A, a couple of questions on the C Spire text line, and if you all want to be part of the conversation, you can text us at 601-879-4395. Some people are pointing out that because we've not funded the MAP formula historically, they're they're saying, well, what difference does it make if there is a new formula? You're you're thinking this is a formula that the legislature will routinely be able to, to, quote, fully fund? Not only only be able to fully fund, it's the the tail's not wagging the dog. In other words, um, you you can say we don't spend enough money on K-12 education, but the reality is we spend almost 50 cents of every dollar that you send to Jackson on K-12 education. So we're spending the bulk of our budget, the entire state budget, on K-12 education. I'm not saying that's a bad investment. I'm just saying it's a fact. Right. And so for, for folks to sit around and say, well, you just don't spend enough money, we, we have seen that, that per pupil cost in any, any individual district does not equate to a districts or B districts or high performing districts. Certainly, there is some basic level that that's got to be there for folks to to educate our kids. And this is not an attempt to undo any of the gains that we've made the last few years. Um, the so-called 
you know, Mississippi miracle of our, of our test score gains and the things that, that um, our schools and, and educators have been able to do. We just simply want to enhance that and be sure that our funding formula is not propping up some old system where where um, folks had it a certain way. And let's be sure it's about um, funding on a per-student basis because, you know, we hadn't talked about it yet, but another another feature of our education package is what we're calling a portability piece, which says that no public school district school board can hold a student against their will. If they ask to be released, they shall be released. So that means if you live in I mean, right now, as I understand the law, if you if you live in just to make it easy, Jackson, and you want to go to the Rankin County schools, both Rankin County and Jackson have to say it's okay. Yes, sir. And and what we're saying is that if if under the scenario you just present, Jackson would not have to say it's okay. If that student could find another public school district that would accept them, where their home district is would have no say in the matter. And the state share of that per student cost would follow that child to that new school district. Um, now, in DNF districts, we want that child to be able to go anywhere they can find in the state money, whether that's public, private, charter, homeschool, whatever. If they're in a DRF district, um, we want we want to open their choice all the way. Um, and and but, that'll be only in DF, uh, DNF districts. So we, we've got to start somewhere. And we thought that was a way um, to start to give people in those areas um, some maximum choice where, the, where they don't have much. Um, now, you know, in addition to that, we, we have an ESA program now. But we make folks um, pay for it on the front end and then get reimbursed. Um, we're looking to change that, and the state money actually pay for um, whatever choice um, those parents have, um, a child with a disability or a learning disability and things like that, who, who um, we give them some choice now. We would probably limit in, in a choice um in a choice feature, the total number of students that can go at any one, you know, in any given year so that we can predict it a little bit and kind of know, um, which is kind of how Arkansas did it. They limited it the first few years and eventually it, you know, it turns into more of a wide open uh, universal choice. We're, we're not headed there yet, but we are headed in the direction of we're not going to do things simply because that's the way we've always done them. We want to change the funding formula, get it boiled down more to a student-by-student basis um, with with weighted measures based on all other aspects. Um, So so if you're in a DNF district under under what you're thinking on the choice side, would you get the full tuition of a private school paid for, or would it be just the the current per-student cost would follow you? It would be the current per-student cost, the state share, which is about 73%. In other words, so or or, um, maybe a little more. In other words... um, if if it's if it's nine or ten thousand dollars per student, you would see about seven sixty five hundred seven thousand dollars follow that child or wherever. Okay, well that's um, a pretty good number. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. Now um, we again we would have to probably limit the number of kids that were available for that in the first few years so that we figure out the take rates for choice in most other states, even in Arizona where they did universal choice, you go anywhere you want to, all the money follows you to whatever place you go to. The take rate was about seven or eight percent or percent. Really? So this isn't like half of our students aren't going to just leave their local home school districts. People prefer their local public school. There's no no. There's no denying that. 
Nobody's trying to undo that. This is simply recognizing that there are people who have different needs for their kids, and there are places in the state that don't have the same um, choices that, that some folks do simply by their zip code. And you say, well, that's fine. Tell them to pick up and move. Everybody can't pick up and move. That, it's, it's, an, it's an issue and a problem that um, I think it's very short-sighted to say you got to make the best of it or move. Well, you hear so much from the left, and the left is is obviously fighting any sort of choice tooth and nail. Um, but you, know, you hear so much from them about how we have to have more equity, we have to have more equality, we got to soak the rich, however, you want, however they want to put it. But the fact of the matter is rich folks have school choice in Mississippi right now. That's right. They, they can buy a house anywhere they want. They can stroke a check to a private school. It's middle-income and lower-income people who may be trapped in a bad school who can't afford to move over to a high-performing school district. Absolutely. And here's the other thing that, that, that just tears me up. Folks act like this money is the state's money. This this money is taxpayers' money. Right. Parents sent this money um, in the form of paying their taxes. This isn't the school system's money. It's not my money. It's not the legislature's money, and it's certainly not MDE's money. And again, that's not a shot at them. I'm just saying, we we've gotten we've gotten out of whack here about who's making the decision. It should be the people that are paying the bill. Amen. And in this, in this case, it is taxpayers. Well, and it's ultimately about student success. It's not about whether a district is successful. It's about whether little Johnny comes out able to go out and be a productive That's citizen right. and, and focusing on funding students, I think, is exactly the right way instead of funding systems. That's right. And the last thing I'll say about yeah. our funding formula piece is this. There will be a particularly heavy weight for career tech curriculum um, students and school systems that go in that direction because that is the direction we want to take um, as much of our education system in the state as we can. That's not a that's not to down the college prep track. That is simply to say in Mississippi we have lots of good jobs that are available um, for folks that choose those alternative um, curriculum tracks and and we want to focus on that. Um, We've done a good job the last few years in, in setting up Accelerate Mississippi, and, and what those guys and girls over there have done has been incredible work. We want to like piggyback on that and, and really emphasize the fact that these kids can start getting um, those certificates and, and those, that education um, way before they've gone to a four-year university and decided that's not for them, and they end back up at one of our good community colleges. We want, we want to start that when they're in about 10th grade and um, see if we can – create a, a, a bigger emphasis on that. I think that's smart. Uh, what else do you want to see happen this legislative session? The other big piece for us in the House um, is on this health care piece. Now, you know, I hear lots of, of consternation around the fact that, well, you're talking about Medicaid expansion. We are talking about that in some form. Simply, you know, it's been around for 10 years. 40 states are now participating we are certainly the poorest state or one of the poorest states in the union. We have some of the most unhealthy people of any state in the union. And we can argue about, you know, health outcomes and why they are the way they are. But the fact is um, we're an unhealthy population. And, and any form of expansion that started covering the working, what I'm calling hardworking, low-income Mississippians. Again, these are folks that are working. This this is not, I've heard the talk of, well, this is welfare, this is a handout. It, it is government insurance. There's no question about that. But here's my point. It's been around for 10 years. Every state that's opting in, 40 of them now, nobody has gone back and opted out and said it was a bad deal. Look at our neighbor um, to the west in Arkansas. They're very similarly situated to us. Their GDP over the years... <clears throat> 
has grown just in the last few years. It's grown while ours um, certainly um, has not in the way that theirs has. Um, now people say, yeah, but their rural hospitals are still struggling. This is not going to fix rural hospitals. If we, if we find a way to cover, um, low income workers with some form of coverage through Medicaid, this won't fix every rural hospital that that's, that's ailing. It won't fix, um, some of the provider issues, but it will at least give them some basic level, um, of health care. And I would remind folks, this is the exact same pot of money we would be drawing from on a 90-10 basis that our hospitals found relief back in November, December in an enhanced uh, reimbursement model. That's the same pot of money that this would be coming out of. So it's no different when it comes to that. And I didn't hear a whole bunch of screaming and crying when we were able to pull that off to help the hospitals. This is about helping working Mississippians. You got time to stick with us for one more segment, Mr. Speaker. Everybody, this is Lucian Smith in for Paul Gallo here on the Gallo Radio Show. Still got a little taste of Paul there uh, as we came back in, so fear not. Paul's out this week, but he will be back next week. With us in studio is Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives, Jason White, and we were talking uh, before the break a little bit about this health care piece and and what uh, y'all are going to do in particular for Mississippi's working folks and, and and i think that's you make a, an important point there whatever you think about uh expanding what's sort of a, a, a you know what people would call a socialized medicine program the folks who are in that expansion population those are working people i mean that's that is not a bunch of ne'er-do-wells those are folks who are out there working they are working and you know there's been a lot of conversation um this session about our low workforce participation rate this is a piece of that, and and some smart people are starting to study that issue of, of our low workforce participation. We're at about fifty three percent, fifty two percent. National averages in the sixties. We're we're well off of that. So some smart folks are looking at that. We believe healthcare and and education to a, to a lesser extent, but healthcare is one of the main pieces um, that impacts that. Um, and, and, and these people, these low-income workers are particularly, um, I mean, they are a valuable part of our, you know, economy and our workforce. Absolutely. And we need folks in the workforce and out of the emergency room. And we think this is this is the way to do it. And, and a couple of key features for, for the House plan, and I'm, I'm not familiar with the Senate and, and where they are on this issue and, and even if they have the votes. We have the votes in the House, and, and you're going to see a robust package in, in this arena. Um, it will ask CMS in Washington for a work requirement waiver. We are going to ask providers to pay the state's 10% share. So what the, the plan we're talking about is at no cost to the state of Mississippi. And then another important feature that I want folks to remember is we will have a four-year repealer on our program. So if we pass the legislation, we get the program in place, and it is some runaway government program, it'll go away in four years without any further vote of the legislature. You don't have to bring it back up. You don't have to do anything. It goes away. Here's another important feature of, of trying to find a way to cover these workers. The feds will pay you an enhanced reimbursement rate of 5% on your total Medicaid uh, spend if you will cover the working poor. So you're talking about six to eight hundred million dollars we'll receive the first two years just simply by covering 
uh, this. That's enough to cover the state share. If the providers backed out of this deal and didn't pay the state share, that's enough to pay the state share over this four-year period. So we're we're at a zero-sum game there. And in four years, we'll have health outcomes to measure. We'll have what percentage of these people are in the workforce, stayed in the workforce, left the workforce, or maybe even moved on to a better paying job and, and moved on to private insurance. We'll have some measurements after four years. And <clears throat> if it doesn't work, if it's run away, you won't hear me argue for it. We'll um, let the program go away and we'll move on. I just think the results are going to be different. What What happens if CMS, if the federal government doesn't approve the work requirement? Does, the, does if, it still go into effect? Um, for us, uh, the House plan, we would have a second part of our legislation that would allow the program to go ahead and go into place. And we would ask our providers who will be handling this population of, of patients or beneficiaries, if you will, we would ask them to monitor the work requirements with their individual uh, recipients of the insurance in the form of they would have to report where they're working, how often they're working. If they're not working, are they full-time enrolled in one of our community colleges? Um, have they applied with unemployment? Where all of that stuff is. And you'll have a set of data at the end of this four years to truly measure where we are. So um, we intend to move forward with it. And again, I, I, I can't stress this enough. We're talking about at zero cost to the state over these four years. That's an important part, uh, important point you make. So th- this is not going to require state tax dollars uh, to, to pay for. It won't require state tax dollars. And in addition, um, in, in, in looking <clears throat> at, at this, we will have a piece in there that does not, if somebody is already on private insurance of, of say they're, employers are covering it because that's another argument I've heard is, well, uh, Mississippi businesses are going to start dropping insurance on individuals just so they can go get this free, quote, free government insurance. We're going to have a hold harmless in there that says if you're already covered, when you come off a of private insurance, you're not eligible for this for, for say, 12 months. So not just going to have a bunch of people they're not shifting over, dropping yeah, coverage. Yeah, if they drop their private insurance, they won't be eligible for this for a year. We've got about 15 seconds left, Speaker. Any any final thoughts to the for the listening audience on this session? Final thoughts is your legislature still trying to solve the public employees retirement system um, problems that are looming. And make no mistake, they are real and they are there. Um, we are unfunded in a big way. And I hope leaders will step up on both ends of the building. Um, to handle this issue. We cannot ignore.